Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 8. Luke 8. We will look at verse number 16 to 21. I think I accidentally told people 25 in the office, so ignore the slide there. Um, that was my mistake, nobody else's. So, But the Luke chapter 8, verse number 16, if you'll stand with me, we will read uh, this little light of mine. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Lord, I pray that you will make us doers of the word of God. Give us ears to hear eyes to see, a mind to understand, and a heart to obey. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. So if you were here last week, we covered the parable of the soils. And the passage that we just read is Luke's application of the parable of the soils. Immediate application, there's more, but immediate application Jesus had been speaking about the importance of good listening. He had many followers in those days, but um, not all of them were receiving his word by faith. And so he told a parable that discriminated between the good listeners and the bad listeners. According to the parable of the soils, although some have good hearts, some people have hard hearts, some people have shallow hearts, and some people have distracted hearts. And because of these things, the gospel does not grow in the soil of their heart. And so Jesus said in verse number eight, he followed the parable with this phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, how can we see what Jesus wants us to do? How can we do what he wants us to do unless we first hear what he wants us to do? And so to make sure that his disciples learned this lesson well, Jesus added a further lesson of application to the parable of the soils. And so he said, well, we just read, and I'm going to read it again. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will be, not be made known and come to light. Take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, these verses are puzzling at the very least. It reminds us of a spiritual truth, and that is that spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. That's profound, isn't it? And so it requires, what I'm trying to say is, 
that a, a application like this, a parable like what we covered last week, requires the help of the Holy Spirit in order for us to understand and apply it. What did Jesus mean by this proverb or this mini parable about the lamp under the jar? The general point, and we can all understand the general point, the general point is if you have something useful, like a lamp, you use it. You don't cover it under a jar, hide it under a bushel. You don't hide it under a bed. If you did, it wouldn't give any light and it would be pointless. It would be kind of like fixing a dinner and then throwing it in the garbage can. It would be like buying a car and locking it away. And I know nobody has ever done this one. It would be like buying an exercise bicycle and not riding it. It just doesn't make sense. So if you get something to use, you use it and you use it properly. And the way to use a lamp, of course, is to put it on a stand where it can illuminate the room, right? Now, there's still some question as to what Jesus meant by lamp. Uh, Was he referring to the light of his own teaching? Was he talking about the calling of his disciples to shine the gospel around the world? This is certainly what he meant in uh, Matthew 5, 16 when he said the same thing. And I want to just pause here. Different gospel authors took different things that Jesus said and made uh, application in different ways. And it doesn't mean that they were wrong. They weren't loose in handling scripture, but the way that they put the gospels together lend itself to different applications. Jesus had just told the disciples that if they have good hearts, they would hold on to his word and bear good fruit. But they needed to put his word into practice. Like the lamp in the house, the truth of the gospel was meant to be put to use. You hear the gospel, you put it to use. It was never intended to be hidden away. And so the point of this image that Jesus told is utility. Now that the disciples heard the truth, what were they going to do with it? Unfortunately, many people hear God's word and it never makes any difference in their lives. You've seen it, haven't you? As we learn from the parable of the soils, people can hear the news of the gospel about Jesus Christ and yet fail to bear any fruit at all, spiritual fruit. It's not good enough to say or to think that we are Christians. The question is, are we really living the Christian life, the gospel? It's like the children's song that we we just heard them sing and some of you sang with them. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. The verse that follows says what? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Even on the lips of a preschooler, there's a a lot of authority with that manifesto, right? It expresses a bold commitment to living for Jesus in an open and obvious way. So if we know the truth, we are called to live by it. And every time we learn something from the Word of God, we should consider specific ways to put it to work in our daily lives. If Jesus has illumined us with the gospel, it's time for us to shine. Even this week, uh, this was a, a hard week. It was a roller coaster week for, 
for our family, um, very difficult. And yet in the morning, a couple different times, by God's grace, as I was reading the Bible, he pointed out things. And I, I took time to pray right there. Lord, you showed me something. Your Holy Spirit showed this to me from your word. Please help me to live it. Because on my own, I don't have the strength to live what God calls us to live. None of us do, do we? Now, what happens? Here's a question. Everybody hear this question. What happens if we don't make good use of what God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ? What happens? The lamp under the jar shows how absurd it would be. But we still need to ask the question because some people hear uh, about Jesus without ever responding in faith and obedience. What will happen to them in the end? It's a very serious question. According to Jesus, they will not get away with ignoring the word of God forever, but they'll be held strictly accountable. Verse number 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to light. Now, everyone admits that this is a difficult verse. Every one of you read this verse and you wonder what this verse is about. But not everyone agrees how it should be interpreted. Jesus is still using the idea of hidden light, but he changed the metaphor to make a different but related point. There are some people who say that verse number 17 is about the message of his gospel, which was hidden during the earthly ministry of Jesus, but was revealed after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But I, I, I don't think that's what this, par this sentence means, verse number 17. Jesus is still making a practical point about hearing and obeying his word. People can sometimes fool themselves into thinking that they are standing in the faith, at least for a little while, but are they shining the light of the gospel? And the point is, everybody hear this, the point is the real truth will come out. In a universe that's governed by the all-seeing, all-knowing God, nothing can be hidden forever, right? When Jesus spoke about the secrets coming to light, he may have been referring to the final judgment. Consider Ecclesiastes 12, which says, God will bring every deed in the judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. That's frightening, isn't it? It also describes the final judgment as a day in Romans 2. It says, God judges the secret of men by Jesus Christ. On that awesome day, God will hold us accountable for every word that we ever heard. Then it will come out, all the things that we have done, all the things that we have left undone will be exposed. And if we fail to do what God says in his word, are you ready? Believe the gospel, for example, or to keep the commandments, or to fulfill our calling in the world, eventually this is going to come to light. And if we hide what we've been given, our sins will find us out. Think of it as a parallel to the parable of the talents. The one who hid the talent. Make sense? 
Luke 8, verse number 18. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, through his parables and, and, and Proverbs, Jesus has been telling people to make good use of the truth. And now he's telling people, hey, look, if you don't make good use of the truth, you're going to lose the privilege altogether. And so when it comes to God's word, we either, we either use it or lose it. To make his point, Jesus drew a contrast between the haves and the have-nots. The haves were the people who listened to him and were beginning to grasp the secrets of the kingdom of God. He was talking about the kind of people he had described at the end of verse number 15. If you look at verse number 15, he says, they're the people who hold fast to God's word in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And people who make good use of what Jesus says will be given to understand more of God's truth. That is wonderful. But what about the have-nots? What about the have-nots? They think they have the truth. They think they know the truth. They claim to be Christians. They go to church. They sit through sermons. They go to Sunday school, but they are not living the gospel. And there are many people that way. Their religion does not do them any good at all because they're not making daily use of what they've been given. Think about it. There are people that come every week and they're just as angry and selfish and bitter as ever. And to use the illustration that Jesus gave, they've taken the light of salvation, they've hidden it away, and eventually they will be found out. And when that happens, they will lose everything. This is a very serious application we're talking about this morning. Spent a lot of time thinking about this, examining my own heart, my own life, as you should. Jesus ended his comparison between the have and have-nots with stern words of warning. Look at what he says, verse number 18. From the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. What is he talking about? He's talking about eternal salvation. Serious, isn't it? Eternal salvation. When it comes to spiritual knowledge, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. To some extent, Jesus was talking about what happens already in this life. People who do not believe and obey God's word move further and further away from the truth. Think about it. If God's word says, go that way, that's where the truth is, that's where Christ is, and someone says, I know that, but I want to go this way, if you're in simple geometry class, Growing up, what do you learn? The further out you go, the further away you are. True? And that's what, G, that's what he's saying here. To some extent, when people do not believe and obey God's word, they move further and further away from the truth. He's also referring, though, to the final judgment. When people who reject his gospel will lose every last opportunity to hear God's word. Now, does this seem fair? The haves keep getting more and more, 
And the have-nots lose everything, including what they thought they had. Whether it seems fair or not, this is how spiritual knowledge works. Proverbs chapter 9, give instruction to a wise man. You know what's going to happen to him? It says he will get wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. People who put God's word into action grow in Christ, and as a result, they're able to learn more and more of his truth. For an example, they begin to share their faith, and as they share their faith, they come to a clearer understanding of the gospel. Or as they give their money to Christian work, the more they give, the more they want to give. And eventually they learn that everything that they have belongs to the Lord and is to be used for his glory, and they own nothing. While I don't agree with everything in the book, this is one of the spiritual principles in the book, um, uh, experiencing God. One of the principles that he makes in there is you read what God tells you to do and when you do what God tells you to do, you, you experience what it means to obey God and you want more of that. Have you ever experienced that? Knowing is by doing and the more we do, the more we are able to know. Practical example. Well, I'll get to that. Let me make one more point. On the other hand, if we never do anything with what we know, then we will never grow in spiritual knowledge because we really only know what we use. I was a pre-med major in um, undergrad with an emphasis in chemistry. And if you know anything about chemistry, you know there's this little thing that you learn right off the bat called the periodic table. You know what I'm talking about? I used that thing so much in college, I had it memorized. Every symbol, every atomic weight, every atomic number, I had it all. And I didn't even have to think. When we were doing formulas, I knew uh, everything uh, uh, about um, the weights and, and how to put it all together. Let me tell you a little secret. I've been a pastor for 33 years. Guess what? I can hardly remember anything about that stinking table. You use it or you lose it, right? And it's the same way. Um, in this respect, growing in Christ is something like learning a foreign language. People generally do not learn to speak Spanish or Turkish or Polish by listening to recordings. The way they learn the language is by using it in personal conversation. And if they do not keep using it, they quickly forget what they thought they had learned. And spiritual knowledge works the same way. Use it or lose it. If we do not put what Jesus puts into practice, says to put into practice, then even what we have heard will not be any use to either us or anyone else. And this brings us back to a point of practical application that Jesus has been pressing again and again and again. Whenever we hear his word, we are called to believe it and obey it or do it. We start by putting our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, trusting his death and resurrection for forgiveness of our sins, and then we also accept the Bible. The whole Bible is the word of God. And then we live the kind of life that God calls us to do, obeying the clear commands of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. What is the result 
of your spirit, your scripture reading, Bible study, attendance in, uh, in public worship, what spiritual change is God bringing into your life? What specific ways is, are, is the gospel changing your life right now? Can you think of anything? Now, it's at this point that, that Luke introduces an incident uh, that first might seem to interrupt the flow of the narrative, but in reality, it serves to uh, reinforce the importance of hearing and doing. Look at verse number 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, this gives us a fascinating glimpse into the relationship that Jesus had with his earthly family. Jesus Christ was a real man with a real mother and real brothers and sisters. Jesus loved his family, but his relationship with them was sometimes strained by his identity as God the Son and his calling to be the savior of the world. And this is an incident where we see it. Jesus' mother and brothers wanted to see him. They wanted to pull him aside and talk to him. They, wanted, they, they, they had something to say to him. I don't know what it was. So they pressed their claim as members of his own family. And Jesus took advantage of this opportunity to explain what it meant to belong to the most important family in the world the most important family of all, the family of God. When someone came and told him that his brothers and brothers were waiting outside, this is what he said. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now this encounter teaches us a minor and a major lesson. A minor and a major lesson. And the minor lesson is that our calling in the family of God sometimes has to take precedence over the claims of our earthly families. Jesus had always respected his family. He kept the fifth commandment by honoring his father and mother. He honored her all the way to the cross. As, as he's hanging on the cross and he's dying, he arranged for his mother's support and care. That's dedication to your mother, right? Moms, did you get that kind of dedication on Mother's Day? <laughs> but even as Jesus recognized the claims of family, he knew that they had their limits. And in this case, he refused to be distracted from his calling to preach the word of God. And sometimes Christians face the same dilemma. This week, I don't know if you read my devotion or not, but amazing uh, time this week with uh, um, Holly's, um, well, Holly's in junior church. Her, her father and um, a pastor from Vietnam and another gentleman and Healing Hearts Vietnam, an organization that we support that gives heart surgery to uh, the children of poor people in Vietnam. Okay, something they can never pay for. Saves their life, right? And the pastor that we were speaking to, 
told us that in Vietnam, one of the major forms of worship is ancestor worship. And so a barrier to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ is this. If you turn from family or ancestor worship, then they consider you to have abandoned your family and you hate your family. And so though to become a convert for many people in Vietnam, you have to decide, do I love Jesus Christ more than I love my own family? Because if I don't, I'm going to stay in that ancestor worship. It gives meaning to what Jesus said, unless you hate your father or mother in your own life also, you cannot become my disciple. He doesn't mean actually hate your family. What he means is that you love Christ so much that that love makes your love for your family seem like hate. Often the demands of our families coincide with God's will for our lives. And so we have a God-given duty to love our families and provide for their needs. But there are times when family members demand unreasonable attention or even uh, when they stand in the way of ministry that God has called us to do. There are times when the claims of family need to be set aside for a higher calling of our kinship uh, with Christ. And this needs to be done in a loving and respectful manner and clearly and firmly. And this is the minor lesson. That's the minor lesson. What is the major lesson to what Jesus said? The major lesson is drawn uh, from Luke 18, 8, verse number 21. And here it is. You ready? This is the good part. True members of God's family are men and women and boys and girls who do what Jesus says. Hear the word of God and do it. And this is the main thing that Jesus was, was uh, trying to say. He took the request that his family made and he uses an opportunity to explain what it means to belong to the family of God. And so his commitment, his comment, I'm sorry, was not so much directed towards his family as it was to the people listening to his teaching, right? This is, what I'm about to say is something that I, I honestly believe people have a hard time believing Sometimes I think when I say these things, this is what the Bible teaches. When I say these things, people think, uh, Jared, you're just using hyperbole. But listen to this. There is no higher calling or greater blessing than to belong to the family of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You agree? This is one of the grand themes of the Bible. It's, it's one of the great hopes of our soul. Heather and I were talking the other day. You know, if it weren't for earthly family, I'm done. I'm ready to go to heaven. Honestly, see Jesus Christ? No offense, I'd rather see him than you. <laughs> you know what I mean when I say that, right? No hate mail, please. But listen, 
To be a son or daughter of the Most High God goes all the way back to the beginnings of the Old Testament. This was the special status of Israel. The children of Israel were children of God. Of all the nations, all the tribes, all the ethnicities in all the world, there was only one that was called the children of God, and that was the children of Israel. But in the New Testament, the Apostle John taught that we become God's children through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. John chapter number 3 makes that very clear. He, John also marveled at the love of God in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the right to become children of God. 1 John 1, 12 and 13. And um, John said in verse number chapter uh, John 6, I'll get it out in a minute. John 16, 27, the Father himself loves you. Isn't that exciting? By the grace of God, we're the children of God with all the rights and responsibilities that come with belonging to his household. Even if we have no living relatives or even if our earthly families reject us, we are still the Lord's. Now, here's the thing. We don't gain this high privilege by working our way into this family. You know, God didn't say, you know that Ben Lieb? He's a cute baby. I think I'll call him into my family. I haven't seen your baby pictures, by the way, Ben. It's just picking on you. If that were true, I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> This is what my mother says. Hopefully, she's going to end up listening to this. Mom, sorry, I'm using you as an illustration. Um, she, my brother and I um, were like the smallest ones on my mom's side of the family. I have cousins that are much bigger than me. And she said, when you kids were little, my sister-in-laws and things were having these babies with these cute chubby legs. And she said, then I gave birth to you and Aaron, and you both were just really skinny. So the skinny, the, the, the beautiful baby club uh, is not how we get into God's family. Like every other aspect of salvation, this is so important, adoption is by grace and grace alone. Amen? There, but there's a way for us to show that we belong to the family of God. Here, how do you show that you are part of the family of God? Don't miss this. This is the unmistakable mark of family resemblance. How do you know that you resemble God's family? Jesus said this as our elder brother. He said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The distinguishing feature, do you want to know if you're a Christian? The distinguishing feature of the family of God is obedience to the word of Christ. Do you obey the word of Christ? This fits into everything that, that Jesus has said about hearing and doing his will. It's not just saying we belong to God's family that makes us children of God. It's living as obedient sons and daughters. 
God's true children are the ones who do what Jesus says, who live with the light of his gospel. Membership in the family of God is open and available to everyone who comes to Jesus Christ in faith. And we can be as close to Jesus as his own mother and brothers. Wouldn't it be cool to have grown up with Jesus Christ as one of his brothers? Actually, I heard a comedian one time saying it would have been terrible to be, Jesus, to be one of Jesus' brothers. And he said, can you imagine that? Mom said, why can't you be more like your brother? Well, <laughs> some of you will get that later on. But Jesus said, we, we haven't even seen his face. And we are as close as his own earthly mother and brothers. Isn't that wonderful? That's the privilege of being in the family of God. They say blood's thicker than water, but we are tied to the family of God by something even greater. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he prays this. He prays that we will be one, and that means he's the head, and we're with him. We will be one as their one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, dear believer, can be one with Christ and as close to Christ as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were close to each other before the world began. In eternity past, they had complete fellowship with one another. No hiding, no secrets, no nothing. And forever, eternity, future, they will be one with one another. And the big difference is we'll be there with them and we'll be just as close. Isn't that wonderful to know? I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I'm not close. And when I feel that way, it's me, not him, right? Wonderful, reassuring truth. Blood is thicker than water, true, but the Holy Spirit is greater than all of them. And if we are children of God, then we must bear the family resemblance, which we learn to do by following Jesus Christ. Jesus called us his siblings. (laughs) Meditate on that this week. You're Jesus' sibling. Makes him our older brother in the family of God. And we have an older brother whom we love and admire. And we want to be like him. And as a child of light, through faith in Jesus Christ, We are called to listen to our older brother and to do the word of God. And so my question as we close today is this. Are you doing the word of God? When you look at your life, does God confirm in your heart, does the Holy Spirit confirm in your heart, you are my child, you are a sibling of Jesus Christ because you are actively obeying what you hear Scripture say? Or is it just something that you do on Sunday, something you might read during the week? If you're not doing it from the Sunday sermon, most likely you're not reading it during the week anyway. And it's just a 
cultural or a social thing for you, and it's something that you call yourself, but you're not actively obeying God's word. Lord, we thank you for the word. Jesus, in simple little statements, penetrates deep into the heart of man. Lord, I don't, I don't know hearts, only you know hearts. But Lord, I suspect there are people here who think that they have something that they do not. And before Judgment Day, I pray that you will give them ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to understand and obey the word of God so that they can be gloriously saved. And for those who do have ears to hear and eyes to see, I pray that you will strengthen their obedience so that they can learn ever-increasing ways how glorious you are and how wonderful God is and how great it's going to be one day to go to heaven and to see our older brother, the God of the universe, sitting on his throne face to face. Christ's name, amen.